Amen. Good to see you here this morning, folks. And um, how many of you uh, even remember this little-known group called the Beatles? Does anybody ever, do you ever hear about the group called the Beatles? You know, one of the popular songs the Beatles had was All You Need Is Love. And uh, that song actually was written for a very specific reason. Um, it was written to be played to a worldwide audience for a live global television event called Our World, which would be broadcast June the 25th, 1967. Now, who was not alive on June 25th, 1967? Oh, you young people, you young people. <laughs> Over 400 million people watched this live event from 25 different countries. See, y'all didn't even think there was TV back in 1967. <laughs> Uh, but the song went basically like this. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love, love is all you need. That's pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> A very simple message. Now, some saw it as too simplistic, uh, but John Lennon, who wrote it, now we know he was not a Christian, so his perspective on love uh, was, is a little different and a little skewed from what our perspective would be. But he wrote it purposefully, simplistically, so that more people could try to understand it and it could be something that people could remember. Now, long before John Lennon wrote those words, God's Word advocated the same simple message of love. All you need is love. Loving God and loving our neighbors has always been what God has advocated. Um, now, John Lennon wasn't advocating loving God. He, he didn't believe in the God of Scripture, the, the Creator God, a personal and loving God. Um, some people believe that if you know, they love those who love them, that that is love and that's all they need to do. So there is a lot of confusion about what it means to love. So it may be a simple message, all you need is love, but maybe it needs a little clarification. And I think the Bible is pretty clear that we can't love God and not love our neighbors. Uh, and simply loving a neighbor without loving God is also inadequate. So the big idea for the day is Yes, all you need is love, to love God with every ounce of our being, and to show that love by loving others. Now, we're finishing up our study of Mark today in our Core 52 lessons, and we're focusing on this passage from Mark chapter 12. As would often happen, some religious experts, as you read through Mark chapter 12, they come to Jesus, and they want to get into a debate with Jesus because they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to trick him into saying something that they could use to get him into trouble. Some Pharisees had come and asked him a question about paying taxes to Caesar, hoping to trap him in his answer. If he says, you don't need to pay taxes to Caesar, they'll run to the Romans and say he's advocating this. If he says, well, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, well, then they'll run back to the people and say, see, he's a puppet of the Roman government. So either way, they thought they had him. 
And Jesus just said, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And that sort of messed up their plan. Then some Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection came and asked Jesus a question about being married after the resurrection. <laughs> they don't even believe in it, and they're asking him a question about it, which tells you they're trying to trick him and trap him. And then we get to our text today. A teacher of the law was nearby, and he overheard this debate that was going on. But he seemed to have a different motivation. It doesn't seem like he was really trying to trip Jesus up. Rather, it seems to me that he genuinely wanted to know Jesus' answer to another question. And we read this in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, we know that there were 613 commands in the Mosaic Law. That's a lot to keep up with, right? I mean, pretty much we could say that's a lot to keep up with. And out of all those commandments, which one did Jesus point out as being the most important? Well, he pointed out two which dealt with love. And Jesus' simple reason or response for his answer was this, love God and love your neighbor. A simple answer, but it's much deeper than it looks on the surface. So let's consider those two commandments today and how we can fulfill them. First of all, love God. Now, how do I love God? Jesus got his response from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And within Deuteronomy, we read different commandments. And this commandment was found in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, we also know that uh, mind was included in the words Jesus had. So these four areas of life that deal with our love for God, our heart. The heart was not the physical muscle, the heart, but it was representative of the feelings and the desires that motivate us. It was more than just being sentimental about something. Uh, you know, maybe a way to illustrate this is, how many of you have been watching the Olympics? Anybody been watching any of the Olympics? Some of you have. You know, any of these athletes who participate in these games, they have to work extremely hard to achieve the success that they achieve. So we have plenty of examples of what heart means when it comes to these athletes. They have a drive 
that sustains them. Uh, we're not talking again about the muscle in the body, but we're talking about that which drives us, which causes us to focus on something, the motivation behind us. That is the heart. So we're to love God with all of our heart, and we're to love God with all of our mind. Our will as well as our intellectual capacity. So we acknowledge God in our mind. We acknowledge that we believe in Him. We acknowledge what the Word of God says about Him. So with all of our mind, all of our intellect, we love God. We love God with all of our soul. And that soul represents the energy, our life force, that which moves us to action. It's easily seen in toddler children and grandchildren, right? Now, you know, that soul that gives us energy. And then strength. And strength is representative not just of our physical strength, but it is really all of our resources, that we utilize all that we have, our financial resources, our resource of time, our resource of influence among others, our networks, all of our strength. With all of these things, we love God. Simply put, we are called to love God with everything, not just with one part of our life, but in all aspects of our life. We are to love God with every ounce of our being. Now, how much of all of these are we giving to God? That's a question that each of us has to ask. Am I withholding any one of those parts from God? Now, you see, all four of those things, the heart, the soul, the mind, and strength, they are interconnected. And when we withhold a part of any of these integrated elements of life, we shortchange some or the rest of the others. We can't claim to love God when we withhold a part of ourselves from Him. And this is very important that we understand. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12, we read, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So again, in those words, we see four things that are necessary for a healthy relationship with God. Fear. Now, I know for some people, they struggle with the idea of fearing the Lord. But this word also means having a reverence for, having a respect for, having an awe for God. So we think of it this way. It is an awe and fear like we might have, but a greater aspect of it, of an earthly father. Not an abusive, mean, nasty father, but a loving father who does at times have to discipline his children. And those children love their father, 
but they also have a fear. They don't want him knowing that they did something bad because they don't want to be disciplined. Part of our love for our parents includes respecting their authority over us and the fact that they may have to be disciplined from time to time. So, we have a healthy fear of God. This is a part of our relationship with Him. And we obey God. Obedience is a part of that relationship. To walk in obedience to Him simply means that we live according to His Word, according to how His Spirit leads us. We are in obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, what should you do? Keep my commands. Keep my commandments. If we want things to go well at home, those of you that are in a home where there's a parent and children, if you want to have a well-run home, a healthy home, what has to happen between parents and child? Well, first of all, the parents need to be loving, healthy parents who have good discipline in the home. But the children must obey the parents. Uh, parents can't be the child's best friend and cave to every whim and the desire that the child has. The parent has to discipline the child, which is not the same as punishment all the time. It is about training and teaching. So, in a healthy home, you have children who obey their parents. And when they're obeying their parents, things in the household are running smooth, aren't they? But when there is disobedience, there is division and there is a breakdown in the family. Now, in the same way, we want to obey our Heavenly Father. And then we have in that passage in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, the idea that love is a part of this relationship. Love is an action, not an emotion. And this is where we can get confused. And I think maybe, you know, a lot of people, when they say the word love, they're talking about feelings. They're talking about emotion. But the love of the Bible is more than that. It is about action. When a spouse claims to love the other, but does nothing to support them, would you consider that love? I don't think so. Let me ask you. If you claim to love someone, but you never speak to them, you never think of them, you never support them or encourage them, would you call that love? What we claim and what we do must match up. So to be clear, we can't physically manifest this kind of love directly to God's person. So God has provided a way for us to put our love for Him into action. Now, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we do, let's go to the final fourth part of this connection with God. Service. How do I serve God? I look for ways to join God in the things that God is doing. 
I'm not telling God to join me in the things that I'm doing. I want to find things or be led by God to those things that He is doing. One of those things is the church. I can serve God through the church. Now, as Cruz mentioned earlier, this month we have designated as our volunteer drive to give you opportunities to show your love for God through your service in the church. We have tables set up over here on the side of the worship center representing different ministries that need volunteers to serve in them. Now, these don't represent every ministry in our church, but just the ones that are volunteer-driven. So we have children's ministry. Uh, We need more volunteers in children's ministry than in any other ministry. And in the fall, we would like to have full programming again in both of our worship services. So we, we desperately need more volunteers to do that. And what we would love to see is people say, you know, I'll worship one service and I'll serve in this other service. That way you have time to worship God, but you also have time to serve God. So you show your love for God through your worship of Him, but you also show your love for God through your service for Him. We have our youth ministry team represented by one of those tables. Our worship ministry, which would include not only instrumental and vocal, but also our tech team that's back there doing all the great work with our media and our sound. We have 86 Hunger, Michael Murphy directing that ministry now, and the, the many children in our community that don't have food to eat, and this ministry is there to help them. We have our hospitality ministry, which includes our greeters out front and working in the cafe. Hopefully we can open that up again soon, but uh, we need ministry volunteers for all of those areas. And now Jennifer Parker has come today to show you some other ways that you can serve. Queen Jennifer, I call her queen. That's the name they gave her in Rwanda. She's the queen, right? Um, But she can share with you some different things that you can do to help and serve God through reaching out to the folks there in Rwanda. Each of these offers us an opportunity to serve God, but also to accomplish the second command that Jesus highlighted. So this passage from Deuteronomy 10 reflects what a loving relationship with God would entail. All four reflect our love for God. We respect Him. We walk with Him in obedience. We love Him and we serve Him. And that leads directly to Jesus' second commandment, Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, God is a practical God. God God isn't a God of chaos. God isn't a God of confusion. God is a rational God. And He revealed that how we best love Him is by loving others, by serving and helping others. In Mark 12, again, verse 31, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no commandment greater than these. The practical way to love God is to love our neighbor. In Luke 10, there was an expert in the law who tried to test Jesus with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus asked him what he understood from the law. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, that was from this teacher of the law. Jesus said he had answered well. But then the man asked another question, which sort of revealed his heart. In Luke 10, 29, he said, the Bible says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This man considered himself to be religious and pious. He thought of himself as being right with God. But he was trying to justify the fact that he did not love people. Who is my neighbor that I must love? In other words, he's trying to narrow it down. Get it to the, the, the finite you know, a definition of neighbor. The guy that lives next to me. You know, who really is my neighbor? Who is close enough to me to be considered a neighbor? Who am I obligated to care for? And then I can hate the rest of them, right? And that prompted Jesus to tell a very familiar story. A story that is familiar to us, but it was new when they heard it. A story about a Jewish man going down to Jericho from Jerusalem. It was well-known haven on that road for thieves. And in the story, the Jewish man was mugged and stripped of his possessions, beaten up and left for dead. And along came two Jewish leaders. First, a priest saw the man lying on the road, and he decided he would pass by on the other side. He didn't want to get anywhere near this guy. Then came a Levite who also passed by on the other side. Both of these men were close enough by race, by religion, by nationality to be neighbors of this wounded man. But both refused. They didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to risk helping him. But Jesus had a plot twist at this point of the story. Along comes a Samaritan. <coughs> now everybody knows Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They didn't consider each other neighbors uh, in terms of being neighborly. They despised each other. I have a feeling this expert in the law had some hatred toward the Samaritans. No good Jew would ever tell a story in which a Samaritan was the hero. <laughs> but that's exactly what Jesus did. The Samaritan not only stopped because he saw the man and had compassion for him, but he bandaged up the man's wounds, he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and he took care of him. And then the next day, the innkeeper 
gave, or the uh, Samaritan gave the innkeeper money and told him to look after him and that he would return to continue the care of the wounded man. In fact, he would pay the innkeeper for any added expenses that he incurred. Now, when the story was complete, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? In other words, which of these three was acting neighborly? The expert admitted without saying the word Samaritan, and I find that interesting, the one who had mercy on him. He was being neighborly. So the man, the expert, would never consider a neighbor was the true neighbor in the story. You see, being neighborly to a person you might not necessarily even like is a real challenge, isn't it? In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, we read, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. I want to tell you, friends, every one of us are created in the image of God. There's not a human being alive, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of nationality, regardless of political affiliation, who was not created in the image of God. It isn't enough to love God by worshiping Him or by reading His Word or by mentally acknowledging who He is. He calls us to show our love for Him by practically loving other people by being neighborly to any and all. We become the tangible hands and feet of Jesus. By loving others, we demonstrate that we love God as well. The Roman Empire experienced a pandemic between the year 249 and 262 A.D. It became known as the Plague of Cyprian, after a North African bishop named Cyprian who wrote about it. At its height, it reportedly killed 5,000 people per day in Rome itself. One ancient historian would write, the human race is wasted by the desolation of pestilence. Now at that time, again, the church was still sort of a fringe thing in the communities of the world. It was still sort of growing, but it was the Christians who reacted to this pandemic. They became first responders, running to the crisis instead of away from it. Christians opened up uh, would-be hospitals to care for the dying. They took the view, unlike their pagan neighbors, that this disease was not the work of the angry gods, which the pagans believe that, but it was the product of a broken and fallen creation, that bad things are going to happen because of the sin that happened years ago and the fall of creation. So these Christians fed people, not just Christian people, 
but anyone. They became the nurses and the doctors for the pagan world. Most pagans fled the cities, leaving their own family members dying. They were not motivated to love their neighbors. They were just trying to save themselves. The bishop Cyprian preached and called for the Christians not to grieve the plague victims who were in heaven, but to redouble their efforts to care for the living. Another bishop, Dionysius, described how Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need. This made such an impact that even a hundred years later, the pagan emperor of Rome, Julian, expressed shame over how pagan leaders responded to the disaster, but how the Galileans, that was the name they called Christians, would care for even non-Christians who were sick. The Christians were so impactful that sociologist and religious demographer Rodney Stark claims that death rates in cities with Christian communities may have been half that of the other cities. It was, to the, it was the courage and love of those Christians in that moment that would propel Christianity to the forefront in the Roman world. Because the rest of the Roman Empire saw what Christians were doing. When Christians loved their neighbors and acted neighborly, their love for God became evident for all. And God's name was made famous. We are at our best when we follow the greatest command to love our God with all of our being and to give evidence of that love and how we love our neighbors as ourselves. Friends, we must be at our best in times like these. A pandemic has hit our world. Our culture is going through uh, upheaval politically, socially, and religiously. How are we as Christians responding? Are we responding in love or are we responding in anger? What do our social media posts reveal? Do they reveal that we're just angry all the time? Or do they reveal a love for people, even people who may be different than we are? I was so impressed with how many of you reached out to my mom as she's been sick. And I want to tell you, she's doing so much better, so much better. Uh, and we just continue that her strength continues to gain. But it meant the world to her that so many of you responded. And I had friends all over the world who were saying, we're praying for your mom. And then also, several weeks ago, Denise set up a table with, you know, places where people could write cards and notes to Nick Whaley. Nick was in the hospital 16 days with COVID. And at times, Nick was given up hope. He didn't think he would survive. Now, Nick's a strong man, 42 years old. I mean, he is a man's man. 
And COVID knocked him off his feet. And he's still recovering at home. Thank God he's at home. But it meant the world to he and his family that so many people wrote cards and notes. And it lifted up his spirit. But you know, these were all members of our own family. Are we responding to the needs of our neighbors the same way we respond to the members of our own family? Are we more concerned about arguing over masks and vaccines than we are with loving people? Or are we becoming more political in our sound bites than we are attempting to speak the words of Christ in our community? All you need is love, love for God, love for people, even people you may not consider your neighbor. All you need is to love God with every ounce of your being and to show that love by loving others. Father, I come to you and I thank you that you have loved us so generously and graciously Thank you for every blessing that you have poured into our lives. And Father, we love you. We love you for your mercy and your grace. We love you for Jesus. We love you for creation. We love you for everything. And we pray that in every way, with our entire being, that we will love you, revealing our love for you as we love those who are around us as we are neighborly to those who are in need around us. Father, move in our hearts. May your Spirit move us to love people the way that you have loved us. And it's in the name of Jesus we